to Caregiver Wellness Podcast. Today we have what I would consider one of my favorite conversations that I've had so far. It's a bit of a departure from um, talking with a dementia expert to someone who is really written from her heart and from her personal experience. And it's not a biography or autobiography. It is actually a fictional novel with short, smart, dark, but also beautiful prose. And I am so delighted to welcome Rebecca Himmler today. Edie Riker is not alone is a novel that she wrote while also um, living in San Francisco and also Perth. And she has been writing stories and published them and has been awarded in several anthologies. Her website is onewomanparty.com. And she's also going through another personal struggle, which we talk about pretty candidly. And I hope this talk today inspires you as much as it has inspired me. And I look forward to hearing and seeing your comments, um, both uh, below the podcast and also on our website at caregiverwellnessretreat.com. Welcome, everyone. We are so glad that you've taken some time to join us today for our live recording uh, on Facebook and also for our podcast. And I can't tell you how excited I am about our guests. In fact, I'm pretty sure, Rebecca, I emailed you, I don't know, like right after your book came out, which feels like a really long time ago now. (laughs) Um, Was that last year? I did. You emailed me, I think, in March. Yeah. 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 And so I devoured your book and it made a tremendous impact on me. And I, you know, I just thought I'm going to use my power as, as <laughs> with the podcast to, to get to talk to you. <laughs> Turns out you're really amazing. You probably would have talked to me without the podcast, but um, I, I just, it really profoundly hit me. And so I know many of you out there uh, probably haven't had an opportunity to um, to check out her book yet. And so I'm going to highly, highly encourage that. Uh, yeah, there we go. <laughs> so this would be a really good screenshot moment. <laughs> I try to have it next to me. <laughs> Both hold up the cover of the book. Um, Edie Richer is Not Alone by Rebecca Hindler. And Rebecca uh, is an author, and this is her first uh, foray into uh, a full fiction novel. And uh, it's just a really gifted and amazing human. And not only um, have you used the book to kind of, I think, in my opinion, a little bit what our topic today is, um, to use humor with grief and through um, just... Uh, the realities of life um, and even, even embellish. I just, there's so much that I could relate to in the book um, that I can't wait to talk about. But aside from that, um, you're just a really amazing human. And I don't, I don't want to use the, um, gosh, there's so many like cheesy metaphors right now about, not right now, like for a while about overcoming 
obstacles in our life. And, and right now we'll just acknowledge the really beautiful head wrap you have on, uh, which you <laughs> are, are traveling through um, breast cancer and treatments and weekly treatments for that. And so, you know, part of me is just, just like, and it's one more thing. <laughs> like, <laughs> we, yep. we, you know, teenagers, and it's one more thing. <laughs> Yes. And caregiving. Okay. Another thing. And so I'm, I'm so inspired by your journey. And, and what I was about to say a minute ago is, you know, the metaphors seem really cheesy about, you know, the battle and all of these things. And maybe you have your own thing that you've embraced right now, or maybe you just put that in the trash and just using humor in general. Um, But I'm excited to talk to you about all of this because it just feels like real life you know? Yeah. Um, well, thank you. And thank you so much for reaching out to me. And I'm so happy the book resonated with you and it's a pleasure to be here and chat with you. And I'm very passionate about caregiving and very passionate about Alzheimer's awareness. And, um, yeah, so anything I can do to help those discussions move forward, I'm more than happy to do. Um, it might, I'm trying to think of like, it might actually, maybe I'll give a very, very quick synopsis of the book so I people can understand. That. Would that be helpful? That would be fantastic. Um, I was going to ask for that next. And then I can also touch on how this year has been completely insane, filled with ups and downs. <laughs> um, so yeah, the book Edie Richter is not alone is my first novel. It came out in March. Um, it is the story of a woman named Edie, who is grieving after losing her father, who had struggled with Alzheimer's for many years, early onset Alzheimer's. Um, After his death, she moves from San Francisco um, with her husband to Perth, Western Australia, which is a very remote city in Western Australia. And thinking that maybe the remote landscape location will help her in her grieving process. But Of course, it does not help her at all. Um, And the book is about kind of her coming to terms with this secret that she's carrying. And there's a lot of reflection about her father's kind of experience with Alzheimer's. Um, And I don't want to give too much more away, but yeah, she's a person who's always felt kind of alone and she does realize that she is in fact not alone. Um, And the book was inspired by, very loosely inspired, um, but inspired nonetheless by my own experience with my father who died of Alzheimer's in 2013. So he was diagnosed in 2005, but as his neurologist said, he was probably faking it for a while. So he probably um, had symptoms of Alzheimer's and dementia for sure, you know, for a few years before his official diagnosis. Now, I know a lot of people on here are probably in similar situations or have loved ones or have had loved ones with Alzheimer's. And um, so, you know what I'm talking about in terms of like faking it, you know, and I think also for the family, our whole family was in a little bit of denial and it took us a little while to realize, okay, there's something really wrong here um, and get him in to see a neurologist. So yeah, the book was inspired by that. And um, I was really excited for this book to come out. I had worked on it for years and um, it was going to come out in mid-March 
And in mid-February, I learned that I have breast cancer. So here I was really excited about my first novel coming out into the world, um, getting excited to do all of these book events. Um, they were on Zoom due to the pandemic, but nonetheless, I was excited to talk about the book and do interviews and all of that stuff. And, uh, and then I got this blow. So um, continued sort of moving forward with the book coming out, but then a week, you know, meanwhile, I'm scheduling like a double mastectomy for the week after the book launch. So this whole year has been kind of balancing the excitement of my first novel with this like real life um, production of breast cancer. And I mean, I, I always like to tell people I will be okay. Um, uh, I, I think we caught it early enough um, and got it out of my body. I like to actually think that right now I'm cancer free. I don't know if I am, but I like to think that I am. I believe that we got all of the cancer out and I'm currently in weekly chemo to ensure that it's all out. So yeah, I'm feeling pretty good. All things considered. I think I've been through sort of the worst of it in a way, um, in terms of like the physical pain, but um, yeah, obviously this is going to be a lifelong adventure for me and something that is now a permanent part of my life in some ways, um, not unlike dementia and right. caregiving. So it's all linked for sure. Yeah. Well, I, I'm, I'm really impressed that you're, you're, you're here and doing, doing well today. Um, my son went through when he was eight years old, he's 15 now, a year of chemotherapy for, for a tumor that he had and just watching, you know, those weekly treatments and it was so low dose, but it just like, it just had its toll. And, yes. Oh, wow. And it just kind of, so it, so, so as an observer watching the fatigue of that, I, I really, you know, can empathize with where you are and all of the things on your shoulders. Um, yeah, it's a lot. Thank you. Yeah. The exhaustion is real <laughs> for sure. No so real. I mean, the exhaustion of caregiving is real. And then, you know, and you have kids at home. And so, you know, there's so much of your, your roles that are, that are in need, like, okay. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And no, you know, as we, I'm oh, sorry. No, it's okay. I was just going to say, like, as, as we've talked about the, you know, the sort of theme of today was touching on um, humor and caregiving. And um, there is also a lot of humor in cancer, <laughs> believe it or not. And I just don't know how, frankly, I just don't know how people get through really difficult things like this without some humor. I find it to be medicinal. Mm -hmm. um, and that is not an exaggeration. I yeah. just feel like I need to laugh or try to laugh every day, just as I would take a pill every day, you know, um, it really feels necessary right now. And humor has always been a huge part of my life. And I was raised with kind of a dark sense of humor. Um, my family's Jewish and we like to you know, we, we ascribe some of our humor to being Jewish. It feels very sort of quintessentially like culturally Jewish. Um, I was recently joking um, <laughs> with some other folks about that, 
the uh, the theme of every Jewish holiday, and it is Rosh Hashanah today. So happy to anyone who celebrates Rosh Hashanah, Lashana yeah. um, Tova. But um, we we always joke that the theme of every Jewish holiday is they tried to kill us. Let's eat. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of sums up Jewish humor, uh, which is like you never know what's around the corner, and so you might as well uh, yeah. Yeah. really embrace embrace the moment. Exactly. So yeah, I'm I'm grateful that I was raised with a sense of humor, and um, I find that it's it's really carrying me lately. Uh, not to say that I don't also have very deep, uh, profound moments of sadness and grief, um, both in caring for my dad and also now going through cancer. Um, but yeah, the humor certainly can help take the edge off at times. Well, I I. I sort of, I felt like I was eavesdropping. I listened to uh, it was one of your book book releases at an independent bookstore. It was on Zoom, and your brother, you and your your brother interviewed you, and you played this game, and it was it was almost like just all these inside jokes and this humor, and and it was really touching because even though clearly it was inside jokes with you with you and your brother. <laughs> You know, like it was like this big quiz of uh, of your life together, and who got the who got the answers right or wrong or whatever. But it was so charming because I thought, you know, that is just siblings taking care of each other, finding finding humor, and being able to, um, you know, it was just so relatable. And I really appreciated the banter that you had. Uh, together that you have clearly it's a it's a sweet relationship oh thank yeah. you and um, yes my brother is my um, my brother is Daniel Handler who is a novelist um, and he's been writing for many many years and he also is he's probably most well known for writing the Lemony Snicket books for children um, which if you've if you've taken a look at those they're they're filled with dark humor so yeah there's certainly an overlap there and yes he interviewed me for an event and quizzed me on um yeah our life together and <laughs> it was ridiculous <laughs> we do have a lot of fun together and you know he's um he's taken me to several of my chemotherapy appointments and um and there's always a lot of laughter there so how do you i mean for the for the caregivers that are listening how do you interject that humor i mean you is it is it intentional or they're oh, i have a friend who was was also going through breast cancer treatments she goes i was like what is the what does support look like for you and she said dog videos and i was like i hate dog videos but here you go <laughs> like, i'm gonna send you all the funny dog videos you want I do not find them funny i'm so glad that you do <laughs> Yes. I mean, I think for um, right now, uh, definitely like I need someone to um, come with me to chemo um, specifically because uh, the kind of chemo that I'm on right now, there is a um, um, one of the possible side effects is neuropathy, which is like a tingling in your fingers and um, toes. And to prevent that or to attempt to prevent that, um, it's been shown that icing your hands and feet during your chemotherapy infusions um, can help prevent neuropathy. And so I need someone to help me put these ridiculous like ice gloves and booties on. So I do bring um, a friend or a family member with me 
And yes, the requirement is not necessarily dog videos, although I'm not against dog videos. I would certainly <laughs> welcome them. But for me, the requirement is certainly someone who has a sense of humor about it um, and uh, not someone who's going to um, sit there next to me and cry about how sad cancer is and how awful you know, chemotherapy is because I know that already. <laughs> Um, and what I need is someone to sort of counterbalance and provide some levity. So yeah, it's been, it's been nice. I'm certainly counting on my, um, my husband who has a fabulous sense of humor and my brother and yeah, a couple of friends. So it's been really nice. Um, yeah. I mean, in terms of Alzheimer's, which on here, I, I suppose people can really relate to. Um, it was hard to laugh for a while, uh, at the, you know, the early stages of my dad's diagnosis, um, because all we could see was sort of that, you know, long path ahead, and what it would mean. And Alzheimer's is not something that you recover from, it's something that just, you know, gets progressively worse. There are, um, there are good days and bad days. Um, so, and I always preferred as I do now with my cancer for people to be very direct when they ask how I'm doing or when they would ask how my dad's doing. Um, I found a really frustrating question was when people would say, oh, how is your father? Um, but I found a really great question was how is your father today? Um, because every day was different and some days were really impossible and some days were better. Um, but even like, even, you know, the first, one of the first meetings we had with the neurologist where she gave my father all sorts of um, quizzes to sort of see how his memory was. Um, and I, I actually used one of these examples in my novel, um, which is she asked him to draw several pictures, including a Christmas tree. Um, and he struggled with every picture but then we laughed because he's Jewish. So we just thought, well, of course he can't draw a Christmas tree. What a terrible question. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> but he was, a, you know, in, in his pre-Alzheimer's life, he was quite a good illustrator. So it was, a, it was also very sad to see that he had lost that ability. But um, we did have a chuckle about the fact that, of course, this lovely Jewish man would not be able to draw a Christmas tree. <laughs> he's probably never, <laughs> probably never drawn one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's there's a part in your book which um it, I'm gonna be really careful not to give anything away, but which I found really fascinating because she goes to a support group after her father has passed away. And I know that you know um you know, many people don't go at all. Some people don't find it's for them. Many people like latch and they go to as many support groups as they possibly can. Um, and some people do, you know, reach out for grief support afterwards. I just thought it was a really interesting, interesting thing. And, and in it, you write about identities. And this is such a, to me, such an important part of of caregiving, like we're always wearing these hats. We're all, like, you know, it's like, okay, wait a minute, hold on. Now, you know, now you're wearing, I guess, <laughs> you know, the I'm going to get better hat. I'm at chemotherapy, or you know, <laughs> I'm wearing a literal hat now. <laughs> right. <laughs> I know. Ooh, may, it, may, it, may it heal you. Um, but I love, I, I really appreciate even the questions that this 
uh, the support group leader writes, I'm just going to read a little bit. Can I just read some of your book to you? (laughs) I would be honored. Thank you. I know. So today I wanted to bring the word identity to all of you. This comes up in the issue of disease, particularly a disease affecting memory. How does your loved one see themselves? How do you see yourself as a carer? Or how did you see yourself? And he gestured toward me. Does anyone come up with, come up for anyone when I say the word identity? And I'm curious what your thought process was in writing this. Were you kind of struggling with your own identity or were you able to just kind of jump into her character in regards to that? Um, I certainly reflected back on um, how I felt when my father was becoming progressively sicker and, um, and used that to sort of inform the novel and particularly that scene. I went to a couple of support group meetings when my father was sick. So we actually um, moved him out of, my parents were married at the time. We moved my father out of um, his own home into a nursing home um, because it was very clear that it was becoming progressively more and more difficult for my mother to care for him, um, both mentally, but especially physically. My dad was a really big guy and uh, it was becoming harder and harder. So we made a family decision to move him into a nursing home, specifically with one with um, uh, dementia care and Alzheimer's care. And that was a wonderful decision for our family. Um, It allowed us to uh, visit my dad and also um, have help. And it allowed my mom to sleep through the night, frankly, because she hadn't been for a long time. Um, they, at the nursing home, they did have a support group that my mother found very helpful. Um, and I went to it a couple of times and the man who led it was sensational. Um, and, but I, I wasn't in any, it's like, it's like now that I'm here on this podcast and, um, witnessing what all of you are bringing to the table and talking about together, I wish that I had had this at the time or sought this out because I think it would have been really helpful. I mean, in terms of identity, I noticed a shift as you do, I think in general, as your parents age, um, there tends to be, you know, there's those moments when you realize, oh, okay, now I'm taking care of them. Mm -hmm. Um, And when you throw dementia in there, Alzheimer's in there, um, everything becomes a lot, you know, bigger and more exasperated. my father stopped uh, recognizing me sometimes as his daughter, but would often recognize me as someone else um, in his life. Sometimes I couldn't tell who it was. Um, (laughs) Sometimes he would try to kiss me passionately (laughs) and tell me that I was pretty. And uh, that was disturbing at first, but soon became hilarious um, and very... Um, apropos to our family dynamic, it's very strange and dark. Um, and so, yeah, so then at those times, my identity was like you know, some sort of strange girlfriend who wouldn't let her boyfriend kiss her. Uh, right. It was just nuts. Um, and yeah, I thought a lot about, you know, who, who are you to someone when they don't recognize you anymore? And can your identity be more fluid 
and not as stuck in one position. I think that the sooner I realized that um, I wasn't, you know, I, of course I was his daughter in my own mind. Um, and I was, you know, I definitely was his daughter um, by all accounts, but for him, I wasn't all the time, or at least that's not what he, you know, portrayed. And the sooner that I accepted that, the better, I think, and was able to kind of move into different identities. And I think that what I noticed is a lot of times, um, and I put this in the book too, you know, a lot of times people would ask if my father recognized me. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, I found that to be a really common question. And I never really knew how to answer that because um, I don't know. I find one of the more challenging things about Alzheimer's is you never know what the person is thinking. And I like to think that sometimes he did know more than um, he let on. And I just like to have that little secret inside of me. Like, you know what? I think he maybe does know what's going on. He's just putting on a big show. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I think like for me, it wasn't whether or not he recognized me was not really important. You know, he was a person who I loved and I wanted to help care for. And it was that simple. Um, And if if it all came down to whether or not he recognized me as his daughter, then that just seemed like uh, not the most important thing going on for sure. You know what I found when people ask questions like that, when they just don't know what to ask, but I think it's also about them. Like they, they want to know or understand where, where this person is in the disease so that they can categorize it or control or have a, have a clear, you know, to make some kind of sense of it. And what I just heard you say is as soon as I accepted where he was, um, that, that everything changed, the relationship changed. And I think that is, that is key. I don't know about you. I never do this, but it fight with reality. (laughs) 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 Kind of like I fought with my printer this morning, you know, I was like, you should be working. Um, but I, I, you know, I think, I think we want to, we want to make sense of things and it's so hard for people to know. And I've heard you say several times, some questions that you got that you, you think, Oh, well, that's not a good question. What are some good questions to ask someone? I mean, I like keeping it really simple and very in the moment. So as I said earlier, like how, you know, how, how are you today? How are things going today? Um, There's an expression that a friend of mine um, who's also been through some really um, hard things in her life, she and I often use the expression little plans, like make little plans. Um, Because when you can't make big plans, uh, like taking a vacation or something, make a little plan. Like what kind of muffin should I buy at my favorite bakery today? (laughs) And that could be an achievable plan. Um, and I find that that's really helpful. So maybe a question is having to do with like a very small plan. Um, I mean, I always think food is a lovely thing to bring to someone, um, and not, 
not having the person make any decisions, you know, just, just bringing them a little something or yeah, sending them a little dog video (laughs) without them having to ask for it. Right. But, um, and I think we all learned, you know, we've all learned a lot over the past year and a half um, during this pandemic is how soothing little plans can be. I mean, I think that that's why half the world got into making sourdough bread is because it was a little plan that felt very achievable. So I think keeping things very small can be really helpful. I certainly felt that with my dad and I felt that I feel that now going through cancer. Um, I think we can get really overwhelmed looking at the big picture for sure. What a, what a beautiful idea and a way to look at that. Um, I'm such a big picture person. So I want to have like five years from now planned, you know? And so the reality of it is, yeah, you kind of just have to do day by day. And I love, I love just really the focus on it needs to be present moment, present moment. Not, not only how is that person with dementia doing in this moment, but also how is the caregiver? Like, how are you doing? And Uh I think that's really valuable. I have this really wonderful memory of um, it was, you know, probably the last, I'd say two or three weeks of my dad's life. Um, I was with him one day. Uh, I was, I was going to see him every day in those last couple of weeks at the nursing home and just sitting with him. And um, I believe he had stopped eating by then. And so all there was really to do was just, you know, sit with him and um, tell him stories and, bring photo albums and look at those. And, and I was starting to get uh, exhausted as one does. And a dear friend of mine called me and said, uh, are you, are you there again today? Meaning the nursing home. And I said, of course, yeah, this is where I am every day now. And she said, okay, great. Um, in about 15 minutes, I'm going to be outside uh, and I'm going to pick you up. And we're going to go and we're going to go to this cafe and we're going to get a coffee and then I'll bring you right back. And I said, no, I can't, I can't leave him. And she said, yes, you can. (laughs) You can. It it won't take that long. It really won't take that long. And uh, so I was like, oh man, all right, fine. So I went and she took me out for a coffee and she was right. It took under an hour we sat in a cafe and had a coffee and then she drove me back and I felt refreshed when I got back there and my father was in the exact same position <laughs> um, and nothing had changed and it was totally fine that I stepped out and got a coffee and I still thank her for that day yeah. um, because that, that meant so much to me and it was an example of a little plan and a way to sort of pull me out just for a moment, um, which was really helpful. And I know that we were in, I'm very, very much aware of the privilege um, that we had of being able to have him at a place that took excellent care of him um, that we were happy with. And I know that not everyone is in that position. Um, And I think that for people who are at home with their loved one, with Alzheimer's, it's even more crucial that people in their community reach out. Absolutely. Um, because being at home with someone is a completely different scenario, of course, than having them 
somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. There is a, a lot of compassion. Yeah. So much compassion in that story. I had goosebumps as you were telling me that because I can just so relate. And I, there isn't a conversation I haven't had with a caregiver where they said someone came over and gave me the gift of time and I didn't appreciate it. <laughs> I mean, like, <laughs> wait a minute, you know, it's it, the gift of time is huge. Yes. It's, it's the resource that every caregiver needs. And for anyone who's ever had a newborn, um, you know that just being able to take a shower can, can turn a terrible day into uh, a passable day. Right. And I think that it's, you know, similar with end of life. Yeah. It's just having, you know, getting a moment to get some fresh air or taking a shower or cooking something delicious or yeah, that can be really nice. Definitely. So I'm curious how, how that experience or even what you're going through right now, how has it changed you? How are you different? Well, it's interesting. I I think about, um, I mean, back to identity for a minute. I, I have, so I have two kids who are 14 and 16. And, you know, when I was pregnant with my first daughter, um, People would love to tell me how my life was going to completely change. And, you know, when I became a mother, I would feel like a different person. My identity would be totally different now that I have all this responsibility. And, um, and frankly, I had two kids and um, did not feel that change in identity. I felt pretty much the same person, um, except I was now more tired um, and had more love in my life. Um, and I was busier and I had more responsibility, but I didn't feel like a massive identity shift. And I'll tell you that when my father was dying and then after he died, I felt an identity shift. It was as if a switch had, um, gone off and I, felt like, oh, now I am someone who has lost a parent. And uh, it really, it really profoundly changed me. I mean, and I don't know how to describe it other than I felt like a slightly different person. Um, And maybe it's just having something, I've spent a lot of time thinking about this. And, and I, Sometimes I think it comes down to like having something taken away from me as opposed to something given to me. Um, my children were given to me. My father was removed from my life. And so maybe that the removal process changed me in some, in some way. Um, and with cancer, I don't feel like I'm becoming a different person. Um, it's, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I think it's hard because I'm in it right now. So I think that probably I'll have more perspective on this in a couple of years. Um, right now, I just feel uh, like I'm going through something really hard. Mm. And, you know, after my surgery in March, um, I felt uh, immediately almost... Um, slightly psychotic. And I don't use that word lightly. 
um, I felt uh, like my body had been violated and I felt a really strong response to that. And I felt a little bit unsafe in my own body. And I called my doctor um, when I was in a puddle of tears on the floor and explained to her how I felt. And she and I talked and she said, okay, I'm going to prescribe you an anti-anxiety medication. You're going to pick it up tomorrow and we're going to start you on a really low dose. And I was nervous about that because I had never taken anything like that before. And she, she said something I'll never forget, which is this medicine is not going to make you feel like a different person. It's going to make you feel like the same person going through something hard. And so she convinced me that I should try it. And I swear, I am now a huge proponent of anti-anxiety medication. <laughs> it's been very helpful to me this year. And I feel exactly like that. I feel like myself going through something hard. Um, and I'm very grateful that we have medicine and I'm very grateful that I have support and I have a doctor who identified that very quickly. Um, and so, yeah, I think that if I had not chosen the medicinal route, I might feel now like a really massive identity shift in terms of feeling like someone else. But I think with the right support, um, we can just feel like we can get through hard things, you know? Yeah. I love that you, you said with the right support, I think sometimes we get answers like, you know, that was the right answer for you, for someone else that might not be the right answer, then, then they should keep asking questions, keep being curious because you, I, I believe there are tools available to people to feel like themselves going through something hard. You know, so whatever those yes. tools, they're, they're, they're available to everyone, no matter if you are at home with your person that you care for full-time or they're in another place or whatever, they're, they're there. And so I, I just hope whoever is listening can hear that, you know, cause I think there is some stigma with medication for anxiety and also, um, you know, whatever, whatever you need it and whatever the right thing is, it's, it's there. Just keep asking, keep asking. Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> yes. I mean, I, I think like to be aware of all of the tools that we have at our disposal, um, is really important. I'm in a weekly support group now for women who are going through breast cancer treatment, early diagnosis and treatment. And it is, it, that also feels medicinal to me. That feels like something that I can't miss and want to go to. And I assume like this wonderful group of caregivers, it's a place where you can go and bring, you know, everything to the table. And really get into it because um, there's nothing like talking to other people who are going through something similar. It it can it can really make a huge difference because things you know caregiving um, and cancer or you know any hard thing that you're going to can, can going through can feel so isolating and anything we can do to help bridge those gaps and particularly with Alzheimer's, my goodness, it is so common now, sadly, um, 
and there's so many people out there who are going through this and to think that that people would feel alone in this um, is so sad because we're not we're yeah. not alone in this we do have each other we do and i and i i am in complete agreement with you and i think one of the one of the things that help that helps me is probably why i have like 500 books stuck next to my desk which you cannot see um, but it's to be you know things like your book and to be able to absorb myself, whether it's a support group, because I'm, I'm in currently three of them right now. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, okay, let me schedule this in. But I, whether it's that or whether it's being immersed in, in a book that can give me a moment of seeing something in a different way and also feeling less alone, you know, I'm one of those people where books are my friends. And so, um, you know, that that is really helpful. I, um, I feel like I could, we, we just, we need to go have tea and I feel like we'll bring everyone. So <laughs> that sounds we'll, great. We'll have to do a, to be continued when you write your next novel. So, uh, I look forward to that. Uh, content. thank you. <laughs> um, so I, I will say if, if, um, if you all have not checked out Rebecca's blog, um, again, hint, hint, there's not enough posts on there, but um, <laughs> when you have time and your spare time, I really appreciate that. Um, and especially your last post, I think, um, hits and kind of, I'll just kind of tie this in for the last bit of our folks that are watching us live on Facebook. Um, you, you really hit on this idea of we are all receiving care. And um, I'll encourage you, Kim, put the link in, in, our, in our chat here and we'll put it on Facebook as well and we'll link to it in the show notes. But um, we are all receiving care. We need to care for one another. That's, that's the summary I got. Oh, <laughs> and, thank you. And, I, and that really, really resonated with me. And so, you know, I'll leave those. We're going to close out our live segment here. And, and for those that are watching on Facebook, if you want to join us, and actually be able to kind of ask some questions one-on-one with our guests. Um, be sure you sign up for that because we just send that out and then you can join us on Zoom. Um, but I'll leave you with this idea that, gosh, if you can um, remember that you are not alone and that you are receiving care every moment of every day. I think one sentence you wrote in your blog was, and you, whether you were either in a car or you stepped out onto a street and a, and a car came by, you know, like you, you, they just missed you. And I, you know, we, we are constantly being cared for in ways invisible and invisible ways. And to just take moments of our day to acknowledge that and, and our care for each, each other collectively is really powerful. Um, so thank you for that. So I will say goodbye to the folks on Facebook. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for joining us today with our conversation with Rebecca Handler. And again, you can find her on her website at onewomanparty.com. And her Instagram page is also equally inspiring. So you can find her at the same handle there. And I think that you can also show some encouragement and love if you head over to that website and just make a little comment on her blog. Um, her writing there is also incredibly inspirational. 
One thing that I loved about this conversation that we had was these little, these ideas of just little wins or little things that we can do to kind of move us through our day. And I would love to know what yours is. So share that with us. You can go to caregiverwellnessretreat.com and click on our podcast. You'll find all of our episodes there. And if you'd like to support us, click on donations on caregiverwellnessretreat.com. And that's how we are able to do this sort of commercial free and without any sponsors. We really depend on you as our listener to support us fully. And we trust that that will happen. So thank you so much for considering a contribution. And we look forward to sharing future podcasts with you. And we hope that you are finding some peace and some ease exactly where you are today.